Hi, Small Fortune listeners. Today, Carol Collison is speaking with Roy Cicchetti. He's a brand pioneer from Sonoma County, who was a visionary behind some brands that are still very popular today. And Carol had a great conversation with him. Yes, uh, he founded with the Sebastiani Company. He was part of the Pepperwood Grove brand success. And then when he we started working with him, he had launched his own brands. He started with Red Tree and Line 39. And he grew them in six years from 30,000 cases to 350,000 cases and then engaged us to help him uh, exit and retire. So we have a great conversation. There's a couple of things that I want to point out about how that conversation went as it relates to entrepreneurship and, and folks starting companies. First is, of course, he did the traditional thing of launching a company based on his own experience and relationships. That's sort of the common model is learn how to do it somewhere else and then launch your own company. And that's what he did. So we had the relationships with distributors and the experience in sales. The other thing to point out, as I think is important, is that although he had tremendous amount of experience when he launched his brands, part of his story involves hiring professionals to help him develop his brands, not creating a brand name that he liked but working with a marketing professional to try to develop something that would be effective. And I think, Jacqueline, we all know of, you see a label and the owner will describe that they they thought it was really great idea because they're, you know, Aunt Mamie or something like that. I mean, <laughs> you know, don't, don't create brand labels that you like. Try to figure out brand labels that the consumer will like. I think it's, it's the, and, and he also looked to get some very, excellent professional help with his PR. So um, DIYing, it can be effective, but hiring knowledgeable professionals is also not a bad idea. So listen up, Roy's a, a great guy with a great company history and a pioneer. Right. And very involved with Sonoma State University and the Wine Business Institute that he's one of the founders of. Right really inspiring story too. Yep. Listen up. Great. Thanks. Good morning. Roy Cicchetti. Uh, so happy that you joined me. I was looking at the information memo that we put together when we sold your company. I was second chair to Vic Motto, who was leading the M&A effort. And it looks like it was almost 10 years ago. Uh, it was. First, thanks for having me, Carol. Um, it was uh, yeah, 20, 2014, almost 10 years ago. I know. And uh, you, you worked for a while for, for uh, O'Neill. Jeff O'Neill was the buyer. And you, how many years did you work for? I uh, was on till 2016 to help with the transition. Um, mostly it was the transition for the wholesale network. Uh, uh, they had their set of wholesalers. I had my set of wholesalers. And it was, uh, there was some that overlapped, but um, it was just kind of consolidating uh, the book, the entire book, uh, both O'Neill's and mine, with uh, with the best wholesaler, either my wholesaler or their wholesaler. Okay, fantastic. So I, that, I did that for about two years, to, right. and it took, it took that long to do that. Yeah, but, you know, now, so now you've been retired for, for eight years, and I, I'm sure you're very happy to have done that. Oh, absolutely. It's 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 fun to look at the industry from the outside looking in. And spend time with your grandkids and uh, absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, That's uh, those are my days chasing those guys around. Yeah, and we're going to talk about your company that you and and your wife Rachel formed together. Uh, and Bob Broman was your winemaker when you formed this in two thousand seven. And I just wanted to take a moment to recognize and 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 give you my condolences for the loss of Rachel a few years ago. But um, thank you, thank you, you very much. Your you have your family and grandkids there to keep hanging out with. So. Yeah, I've got my entire family here, my sister and her kids and my my daughter and her sons and her family. It's it's very nice to have them close by. It's been a, been a big help. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, I was looking this morning at the information memo, which for the listeners who, who have not participated in an, a merger and acquisition process, we, we prepare a, you know, it, a large information memo. And if I do say so myself, it shouldn't. It was really good. No. <laughs> it was very effective, but but the, it was especially good because we had a good story to tell. And, and that's really what we're doing with these information memos. We're kind of trying to create, the people who read them are very busy. You really want to tell the story as effectively and quickly as you can. So, um, and, and the, the basic story, of your business that we're going to talk about how how you built it and um, uh, was that you founded it with Rachel in 2007 and in 2012 when you started looking at possibly selling the company I mean you had gone from 30,000 cases in a year at launch to almost 350,000 cases in in six years <laughs> so. That was an absolutely amazing uh, amount of growth. Um, no, it, and was, it, was a, it was a wild ride. We, um, you know, we had, um, I had a good team. Uh, Bob uh, Brumman, our winemaker, was, was just a phenomenal winemaker, master blender. Uh, we were able to put value wines in the bottle and, uh, and had a great team. We had, uh, you know, if you can believe it, 350,000 cases, and we had uh, four salespeople running around the country, and that was it. And it was, you know, uh, we hit a nerve, and, um, you know, it was uh, it was a wild ride, and we uh, we had a lot of fun doing it, but it was, uh, it was tough uh, trying to corral it all, but uh, we did it. So if I can take you back to that point in 2007 when you – decided to formulate these brand, you know, the, the brand evolution when you the first brand and, you know, what, what was your approach on the product development side? Um, I mean, obviously you, you came from a lot of successful brands that you worked on in, in other companies when you launched your own, um, you know, what process did you go through to decide, you know, what products and all that? Well, you know, at the time, uh, you know, going back to the mid two thousands, um, there was, you know, the category of the, you know, finding bridles, these are, you know, for, to use a term, um, it was, it was a big category and it was a growing category, uh, that, that under that $10, $12 and below was a real hot category. And I had experience, uh, in my prior company, um, with that category. And I wanted to, to continue that because I saw opportunities there. And, you know, we, we, we had two brands that we started with and they were, one was price a little higher and one was price a little lower. Um, 
but it the the hardest thing was was creating the name the brand name um you know you you do all the homework you do the pricing you do where you want to be in the categories and and you do all of that and then you gotta have a name and creating a brand name and this probably would go to any industry is so difficult because you have to invent a name because everything's taken everything's yeah. trademarked and it was it was difficult and we were able to uh, to do that um and then trademark these brands and you know and the rest is history and we just took off from there and um so so you developed the brand names just you know spitballing with friends or you know how how does that yeah i had a i had a designer um bob johnson who um who designed our initial labels and he started throwing out names to us and um you know one after the other and and i had i had my sales team involved in it um to you know select a name um but uh yeah these names were pretty much our bob came up with these all of these names i mean he had pages and pages and pages of names and we selected the ones that we we thought were the best and that's how how it kind of came about and and the two brands you started with were Backhouse first, and Red brand, Tree? first brand was Red Tree, okay. which was the the lower priced brand, and then the second brand, uh, well, interestingly enough, um, was Line Thirty Nine. Uh, that was kind of our flagship brand, and that's a brand that that just went through the roof. And that was priced a little bit higher. That was kind of in the ten dollar price point. Um, but the original name was uh, Thirty Nine Degrees. That was the original wow. name. Okay. And we started with that. We started getting the product out there. And then we got a letter to cease and desist from a restaurant in Denver, Colorado that was called 39 Degrees. And we could have fought that because we had a national trademark. We could have fought that. Um, you know, one of the things that was suggested to us is, is you can sell everywhere in the United States but Colorado, which I, that was just a non-starter. That was ridiculous. So we decided to change the name. And that's when I was sitting with my wife, literally looking out the window, trying to figure out what are we going to do? Well, how can we change this name, but kind of keep it? And just kind of like a bolt of lightning was line 39. And that sounded good. And mm -hmm. uh, took it, it to rides. our attorneys and did the trademark search and all that. It was clean, and uh, and that was it. Nice. So yeah, I mean, this guy sues you, and you know, maybe that one small tweak, <laughs> you know, you got to have the quality and the price points and the distribution. But you know, it's kind of funny to to, well, to, I'm a, I'm a, to imagine I'm what if it was still a thirty nine degrees, if it'd be X thousand cases. No, I, I mean, I I I'm a believer in things happen because they're supposed to, and. I think that was the case in point there. Yeah, for sure. So uh, one of the things I definitely wanted to talk to you about uh, and and um, today, you know, we've done a series of initial interviews and and of course, the perennial challenge in, in the wine business in the US is, you know, we've got 50 states with 50 laws and we have, you know, distributors in every state and it's, 
highly complex and challenging for smaller brands. So when you launched your brand, what was your strategy vis-a-vis, you know, your setting up the distribution network and, and what kind of skills did you bring to the table and what were the sort of practices that you and your sales team engaged in to, you know, help really launch and get, get distributors engaged with your brands? Um, I had experience in a prior company and, and um, those experiences brought relationships with wholesalers. And that was kind of where I went first. Uh, in the markets where I had relationships with, with the with the wholesalers, with the management, with the owners. Um, and I always went and wanted to go with the small independent wholesalers. Uh, and I searched for those type of wholesalers in, in every state that we went into. And it was, uh, um, we kind of, you know, took a shotgun approach as far as distribution, rather than going and building a brand in a market and then, moving to the next one and building it, moving to the next one. We just went all out in all markets at once. Now, in looking back on it, maybe that was a mistake, but we it still grew the brand and still did what we wanted to do. And the smaller wholesalers, obviously, you're going to get a little bit more attention from because they are um, a little more hungry. They don't have a book that's like a telephone book with, hundreds and hundreds of brands in it. Um, there is a question of, you know, their their financial stability, uh, which is something we always look into. Um, but it 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 worked. It really worked for us. Um, tell you a little quick story. We were at the WSWA convention in, in Orlando, Florida, and it was kind of the last day, and it was the the afternoon of the last day. And we were kind of starting to close up, close up shop in our suite. And these two guys come walking in and wanted to taste our wines and and uh, see what we're all about. And I had no idea who these guys were. And there were two guys that came that were from Boston. And they were in the process of starting a wholesale company. They didn't have anything. They haven't even started yet. They were just looking to see if any brands are available that they can begin with. And so I sat down and started talking to these guys and our sales manager our national sales manager was absolutely adamant to get these guys out of here. I mean, these guys <laughs> are small. They don't know what they're doing. They don't even have a company. We got to go with the big guys. And I said, hold on, hold on. Let's, let's hear these guys out. So we did. I like these guys a lot and Massachusetts being a franchise market, it's a difficult decision uh, to make. It's, it makes a decision to go with wholesale even harder. So um, these two guys, uh, Ed and Bob, um, I ultimately left. When they left, I said, I told them, you got a deal. And wow. we were the very first brands that these guys took on. And they became our single biggest wholesaler in the United States. Wow. Because we were it. They built their company around us and they became extremely successful. They are one of the, they expanded into Rhode Island. Uh, they're one of the larger wholesalers, I think, now in, in Massachusetts. But uh, they were the biggest wholesaler we had. And, and it was a testament to the fact that we worked with a small guy who 
we were we were very very important to. And, yeah. And, you know, you you don't have that when you go with a big wholesaler because it's the other way around. They're more important to you, and that's a difficult difficult thing to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. And for uh, if if there are listeners out there who aren't familiar, I'll just do a quick explainer on your story. A couple technical things that were in there. Uh, WSWA is the Wine and Spirits Wholesalers of America, correct? Correct. And then um, uh, franchise states. Uh, when I, I <laughs> when we started, and I mentioned you know fifty states and fifty sets of regulations. Uh, you want to tell our listeners what franchise state means if you're a winery owner? Yeah, there's, uh, well, you know, again, when I was in the business, it's been almost 10 years now, but at the time, and I think it's probably still the same, I think there was about 20 or more, 20 franchise markets in the country. And franchise market is, is that when you place your brand with a wholesaler, uh, you cannot take it away. You can't, you can't, it is theirs and it's theirs to give up or keep or trade with other wholesalers. You have lose control of your brand. And those are very difficult markets to operate in. Obviously, you, you hope that you're making the right decision when you're going with these wholesalers, um, but you have no choice. You want to get in those markets, you have to go by the laws. You can create contracts with them. You can create everything to with them. But at the end of the day, it's their choice. And it's it just makes things very, very difficult. So if you're having a, a difficult time with a wholesaler and you want to make a change, you can't unless they sign off on it. And nine times out of 10, they don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you took a flyer on that Massachusetts I did. Uh, I distributor, did. And, and but it, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Sometimes you gotta do it and it paid off. Um, That's right. So um, a couple of other questions I have about, it's, it's about interacting with distributors, I think, really. Um, the uh, oh, the, well, before we get off of the, the franchise state, when you did the transaction and you had a, a distribution network and the buyer O'Neill had a distribution network, and we're since we're talking about franchise states, let's just talk about what did that look like for both you and the buyer managing? Was it you got through it okay or was, were there, was it a real? It was, I mean, it, again, it took us a couple of years to consolidate the uh, the wholesale network, but um, the franchise markets, they were difficult um, because, you know, we had markets where O'Neill had their wholesaler and I had my wholesaler in a franchise market. And I remember going in these markets and sitting down with these people and trying to, I mean, you were kind of like a middleman. You, what I was trying to do is I was trying to make a deal between these two wholesalers. And it's a lot of horse trading with brands and things. But um, we were, were ultimately able to do it. But it was a long process, a long, arduous process. And, and, and it was, uh, again, you're at the mercy of what they want to do. But we were able to make concessions, make uh, uh, deals using other brands and horse trading uh, amongst the wholesalers to consolidate our portfolio. And we were we did it. We were successful, but it did take a long time. Mm. So the other, the, the next subject that relates to uh, this is a part of the market that you know most people don't operate in. I mean, in terms of volume, the number of wineries that are DTC only is is large in relation to the folks who are in wholesale. Um, so not all listeners will necessarily even be familiar with this, even if they're already in the wine market. But um, what when you were 
operating your brands, what was the role of, because I remember you had a pretty unique approach um, to the um, incentive structures for wholesalers, because very often it's like special programming allowance or a uh, depletion allowance, which is like an extra layer of incentive to distributors to like just get the stuff out of the warehouse. Um, but you had a kind of unique approach, if I remember correctly. Yeah, in in creating your, you know, you have to have this promotional structure where you set your pricing, and then, you know, you have to give the special allowances, and you have to give incentives, and you have to give depletion allowances. You know, you're you're spending money. This is all marketing money. You're you're, you're spending money. So we tried to set our pricing uh, a little bit higher. I mean, it's pretty much artificial because you're never that that price. You're never going to sell at that price. But you try to set your pricing a little higher so you can come off it. But one of the things that I, I had, and one of the things that I realized and I recognized is the fact that um, we had very little overhead. I had four salespeople. I had uh, two people in the office and me. And that was it. We had very, very little overhead. So whereas the large companies, the large suppliers had a better gross profit and gross margin than we did, because they were more efficient and they could produce in quantities and they had a lower cost of goods than us, we beat them on administration and overhead because of obviously with a big company, you have this massive structure. We didn't have that. So I used those dollars, those extra dollars to promote the brands and to um, incentivize our wholesalers and to do things we needed to do uh, to grow the brand. So, you know, again, I had the, uh, the, the profitability in terms of lower overhead to do that. Yeah, and and you you were partnered with a a PR company, I think, that helped manage those. Not partnered, but you had hired a PR company that, that seemed like managed some of those um, uh, special. You would have special deals for you know whole incentives. You know, bar I remember barbecue being involved in something. <laughs> So we had, yeah, we had a great group of Benson Marketing was our marketing company and uh, Jeremy Benson, and they were, they were fantastic. Um, we'd do these promotions and they'd come up with these ideas of, um, you know, those great ideas, which garnered us a lot of press, which was great. And, you know, when you, when you start getting press, and you, you know, it gives you a reason and we'd go to our wholesalers and say, we're, we're going to do this. This is what we're going to do. This is a promotion we're going to do. And we're going to get press out of this. So let's make sure that we get the brand out there so we can take advantage of this press. Because people, consumers see the press and they're going to want to go find where the wines are. So it was it was really a great relationship. They were fantastic. We did a lot of fun, fun promotions that garnered a lot of attention. Um, one of the promotions we did was extremely unique. We created a new brand and it was called Austerity. And it was a higher end brand around the $15, $20 uh, a bottle range. And we kind of, uh, it was a kind of a takeoff on the times at the, at the time it was, you know, where everybody was just putting forward these austerity measures and et cetera. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we took, we, you know, we took off on that, on that concept. And the promotion was that first of all, we sent a bottle of this new brand to all the wine writers in a box with shredded money, shredded currency, <laughs> which garnered attention. Yeah. Um, and, and then we had our salespeople 
take that box with shredded money and the wine in it and went to Wall Street to give to the CEOs of all the companies and all the businesses on in, in New York and Wall Street. Oh, my gosh. And, and I would tell you that we were probably successful maybe 25% of the time to get into the building to the CEOs. And if we didn't, we just left the box there. But there was a couple of them where we did. And uh, it wasn't me. It was, our, it was our Eastern sales manager who did this. But this was the kind of promotions that, that Benson created. These very, very creative things. And that got us a lot of attention. There was videos created and, and things that uh, got people's attention. So um, we did things like that that were kind of fun, but also uh, gave attention to your brand. Oh, no, fantastic. And I, when, when I was working with you, I mean, uh, sometimes processes go long, sometimes negotiations go long, you know, you, you just deal with it, right? But um, in this instance, you were, uh, there were, I can't remember the um, hot prospect, you know, this process of negotiation is going on. But you know, every quarter there were you were on the hot prospect. Uh, you know, you were uh, there was some story about how fast you were growing, and I and I I it's hard to replicate. You have to have the facts on the ground to get that kind of PR because you actually have to be doing these things. But it was it was helpful to you know maybe just when the buyer's going, eh, do I really want to do this? You know, all of a sudden another story drops about how hot these brands are. So uh, it it was it was um, not. Uh, it was not immaterial that, that you had. Uh, no, not at all. That, that, yeah. that kind of press, you know, we were, you know, the Gobber report every every month. And, and it was, you know, we were one of the one of the hot prospects. And we were on one. I mean, it was, you know, our numbers were off the charts. And that kind of press, that industry press is just as important, just as valuable as, you know, getting a Best Buy in a major publication or something. It, is, it was so valuable because we'd get those reports every month, which showed our growth, and we would just send it to all of our wholesalers. And, you know, many months we, we had the highest growth of any winery, you know, in, in, in the States. And it was impressive. And so it was a great sales tool to use those, those, those sure. industry measures. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of um, DTC model uh, wineries that I encounter and work with. And, um, you know, my advice to them is, you know, make sure the trade knows what you're doing. You know, if you are entirely DTC, the only people who know what you, you're doing uh, are your wine club members and the people who visit your tasting room. Um, you know, it's for the purpose of, you know, maybe eventually finding a buyer, other winery owners need to know what you're doing. And the way to get that message out is through, you know, these kind of trade publications that they all read in the morning before they answer their emails, you know, so uh, it, just a word to the wise out there, even if you're DTC, having a good uh, PR strategy is uh, meaningfully important. Oh, it's critically, it's critically important to, to kind of be on the radar, if you will, yeah. in terms of your growth and, and what you're doing as a company, that industry, those industry, you know, publications are, are, are extremely, extremely important. And we were, we were fortunate enough to get our share of it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're uh, uh, getting towards the end of here. Uh, uh, just, uh, you know, if, if you were going to advise somebody, uh, somebody who is about to 
wants to ideate, create a brand, uh, you know, what sort of job one in your view? Well, it's, you know, the, the, the business has changed. Uh, and I think uh, in the 10 years I haven't been in, and I, I think it's changed, you know, the consolidation on, on every level, even on, you know, on the retail level, you know, the supplier wholesale, even the retail level has made wine distribution extremely challenging today. Um, the, the smaller wholesalers that I dealt with uh, are less in numbers today because of the consolidations going on. And a lot of these wholesalers, smaller wholesalers being purchased and bought up by the big ones, um, but they still exist. And I think that some of these small wholesalers still exist. And what they're doing today and what I've noticed is a lot of these smaller wholesalers are aligning themselves together. They're creating their own network, even though they're all under separate ownership, they're creating their own network of distribution. Whereas if you are a supplier and you go to one wholesaler, they say, well, we'll take you on, but you got to give us your brand in this market and this market and this market, because they're all aligned together. And it's a great approach. I think they're, they're, it's fantastic what they're doing. And I would go, you know, with these guys, there's some markets where you have no choice. You have to be with one of the big players because there are no small guys, and that's very challenging. But the smaller guys, you, you, I've always had the best luck with, because if you grow and you become important to them, then you've you've uh, you've you won the game. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. Yeah. So you know, but I, I I will tell you that if you're a small winery. I would say, you know, limited production, maybe under 5,000 cases or 10,000 cases. There's no reason in the world why you need a wholesaler. I mean, go direct to consumer. Um, don't, you know, go do a wine club. Uh, you, you don't need a wholesaler because, first of all, those wholesalers probably aren't going to take you. And even mm -hmm. if they do, they're not going to do much. They're going to just put you in the corner and they're going to expect you to sell it. So uh, it's it's because of the laws of changing as far as direct cons consumer. I think probably that's the best route for the smaller guys. But if you're the mid range and even you know growing, um, you know you got to go through the traditional network. And and not to say that you can't also do direct consumer, but that's not going to be your bread and butter. You got to go through the, the 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 traditional wholesale network. Well, and, and you did it very, very successfully. So I very much appreciate you uh, sharing some of your wisdom. And before I'll give you one last chance from before we sign off, I, after you retired, after you sold your company and, and had a little bit of a windfall and went off and retired, um, you got involved with, I believe you made a donation to the Wine Business Institute at Sonoma State. Do you want to you know take like two minutes to tell sure. us what that is? Yeah, no, of course. Um... Uh, I got involved in the institute when they were they were just starting. Uh, it wasn't an institute; it was part of Sonoma State. And there was an idea from a bunch of uh, colleagues, a bunch of vintners, to create a wine business program, not a viticultural program like at UC Davis, but on the wine business side of it. And so, a lot of uh, many of uh, my colleagues, we got together and we created this board at Sonoma State University to create a wine business institute. And this was many, many years ago. I went to Sonoma State University. I got my master's in business from Sonoma State University. So I knew a little bit about the school. And uh, so I was on the, the initial board there to the, of the group of guys that started, the group of people that started the, uh, the wine institute. And, and 
today it's absolutely flourishing. Um, you know, when it's on the map, uh, people want to learn wine business. That's where they go. Um, I try to, you know, every now and then, but uh, I've kind of removed myself a lot from, from it. But I was uh, mentoring a lot of the kids. I would do some lecturing at the, at the school. Um, but they're well on their way. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an official, um, you know, it's an, an official major at Sonoma State University. And there's nothing like it. Um, you know, we're right in the smack in the middle of the wine country. And it made a lot of sense to do something like that at Sonoma State. So I was very happy. And it was very gratifying to be part of that. Well, thank you for your service, because as we've uncovered in this podcast, you know, there's a lot going on around the winemaking. Uh, the, there is this business of wine. That's what we're all about here. So yeah, um, absolutely. So, so thanks for joining us. Jacqueline, you got any parting words? No, this was so interesting. Thank you. I love the little story in the middle. Yeah. About well, thank you, guys. I, I, so after great. being in the after being in the business 30 years, I could probably talk forever, but uh, I, I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. It was really fun. Thanks so much. Email us at smallfortunepodcast at gmail.com. And we'd really love it if you could follow us on your favorite podcast platform and like, review, or share the show. Thanks. Roy Chiquetti. Chiquetti. <laughs> Chiquetti. No, no. You know what? We could leave this in because nobody knows, but it's it's cut as in it's ch as in Chechi and cut as in radicchio. Chiquetti. Okay. Try again. <laughs> From the top. Chiquetti. Um, like radicchio though. Radicchio. So it's Chiquetti. Oh, I thought it was Chiquetti. I've been no, pronouncing it. Okay. Ch as in Chechi bean. K as in radicchio because it's C H H. I know it's it's a tough one that almost everybody. It's chiquetti. It is chiquetti. I've written it out phonetically, so I can't screw that up. <laughs> but uh, okay.